Cobram Estate is the most awarded Australian extra virgin olive oil. Let it be the hero when entertaining family and friends. Cobram Estate extra virgin olive oil is fresh and full of flavour. Perfect for roasting, frying, baking, dressing salads and for dipping bread. Make your food taste even better with a little help from Cobram Estate. Premium quality, great tasting and a versatile healthy alternative. Buy in store at all major retailers. G'day guys, Dill here. This should not come as a surprise to anyone given he's one of the biggest and best sports broadcasters in Australia, but Brian Taylor's podcast, Life of Brian, is absolutely flying at the moment. Recently he's had on James Brayshaw, Tony Jones, his nephew and Sydney midfielder James Rowbottom, and even horse teeth Tommy Sheridan. Life of Brian is not just about the guests, it also provides a great insight behind the scenes of the football media and BT's life away from the mic. He's a very, very quirky man. Who would have thought picking up sticks is so important? The show is hosted by his son Harrison and it's fair to say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because Harrison gives Brian a run for his money. Life of Brian is a clubby sports podcast and it should be in your rotation. IllyXX. Hi fam, it's Dylan's mum Deborah. This is Dylan Friend. He gives you a back rub and says, you know, you're going well Brian. Oh, it's special. Get comfortable and uncomfortable. Mm. Just keep showing up and find a way. Cam was so nervous he couldn't swallow water. Handing him a sheet of paper with six names and said, Chief, we've got to cut these six blokes. Wow, shut up. I've just been barbed by Stingray, mate. I'm just yelling, oh, you saved my life, you saved my life, you saved my life. Thank you, thank you. I spent the last, I think it was a couple of weeks in jail. The deepest, darkest moments often bring about our biggest highs. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the best of 2023. I hope you're well, hope you're having fun and I miss you. Hope you had a great Christmas and you're enjoying your time, whether you're back at work, on holidays, whatever it is, I hope you're well. Uh, today we're going through the best of sport. Now, obviously, sport is always going to be a massive pillar of Dylan Friends and will never sort of go away. And I've been so happy diversifying and getting different sort of stories and segments and different shows and all those sort of things too. But, you know, it always comes back to one of our pillars is sport. And we love sport and it's so much fun chatting to athletes because they're bloody fascinating. And, um, yeah, I think we can learn a lot from them. And I always say this, but when you're thinking about sport, you can relate it to anything, business, life, all those things. So even if, you know, we might be talking about footy or snowboarding or whatever it is, put it back to your life and put those situations in other things that you might be facing too. So first up, we had 188, Scotty James, one of the world's best snowboarders when he grew up in a town that was no snow. Um, pretty crazy, you know, leaving the leaving Australia, his hometown in, in Warrandyte to travel the world going snowboarding at a, the age of 12. Went um, for over six months, he was crying on the plane. Um, but his mindset, you know, just hasn't changed over time. He's so passionate. He loves it and he wants to continue it as long as he can doing incredible things. And I think, yeah, the opportunity to go to Olympic games and all those bits and pieces he talks about, um, really, really cool. And, you know, sometimes where he didn't perform the way he wanted to, that hurt his ego and he's learned from as well. So check this episode out. I know you enjoy it. So you head overseas at 13. Mm-hmm. How long were you away for? What was it like? You, you're leaving school, obviously, like there's a fair bit of, like 13, man, I don't think I'd even, you know, kiss a girl at 13 years of age, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe not passionately anyway, but what what, <laughs> what was that like um, for you? No sleep. And had you kissed no any sleep, girls at that no stage? Sleepovers. <laughs> yeah, no sleepover. You can, no my, my childhood girls. was crazy, man. As yeah. you know, imagine, just was, doing, you're just doing too many kickflips. It was That's nuts. Your issue. I was yeah. just at the Warren Knight skate park the whole time. <laughs> yeah, so I can't even, what was the question? The question was, I think, had you kissed any girls at 13? <laughs> Because I hadn't. <laughs> no, no, it was um, moving overseas at a young age. Moving overseas at a young age, yeah. So we first trip like with intention to become a professional was yep. 12. 
12, wow. So I went over to stay in a place called Mammoth Lakes and my mum was with me. Um, I'm one of four, so I'm the youngest of four. Uh, my other three siblings stayed home. My dad worked, uh, worked, and then I would say supported me and what I was doing and, and my mum overseas. We went over there for about six months. Wow. It was a long stint. My dad came over once, but majority of the time my mum was with me. And then my three other siblings were in Australia with dad. So it was a big commitment. I'll never forget the flight. Like I remember going to the airport that day, like so vividly. And I said to myself, like, you know, be a big boy. Don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. I got on the flight from Melbourne to Sydney to get on my flight to go to Europe. It was the most embarrassing thing in the world. I mean, I'm 12 years old <laughs> and, you know, I'm a man. So men don't cry. And I just could not stop crying. Oh. Like the flight attendant was like, she didn't know what to do. She was like trying to, trying to comfort me. Yeah, no. So I flew the first Melbourne to Sydney by myself, but then I met my coach, um, whom I'd actually been working with quite a lot before that. Mm. So I know very familiar with my parents. So kind of made that commitment that I would go on tour and um, pursue it. And uh, actually his sister at the time was top professional. So I, I learned a lot from her. And um, yeah, so we went on tour. And uh, yeah, it was it was a, it was a huge it was a huge kind of leap, I guess, to say the least, just because we we didn't really know what what the outcome would be and where I would end up. But mm. it turned out to be really good. I did relatively well on like kind of the junior uh, junior world stage, and then from then on, it's just been been game on, same same tour, same traveling most years now, and uh, yeah, it's been incredible. What would you say has been like, and this is probably a question as well, at that age, there's probably like a lot of maybe self-doubt, like you're quite young. Was there a moment for you where you're like, no, nah, I can compete no matter how old I am? Like we talk about a lot in maybe a footy sense, but it's like, you know, ripping up the birth certificate and being like, well, once you're on the slopes, it actually doesn't matter. Like once you're in the half pipe, no one gives a fuck how old you are. Yeah. So I think snowboarding as well. I think snowboarding is a very young demographic sport. It's, um, you know, you can get, 16 year olds or 17 year olds you know winning so it's it, that's Even pretty that common age? that's common yeah, yeah really and same as skateboarding i mean you see nowadays kids just yeah 14 years old winning x games gold medals it's unbelievable so yeah i would say age is it's a really interesting one in sport i find i mean nowadays there's so many great stories of you know the goats let's say who mm. go longer than what people would have would have picked them to I think nowadays with, you know, understanding the body and the mind and everything, like you can go a really long way. So I think even for me, I'm 28 and I still feel like, and I want to do a lot in snowboarding. There's a lot I still want to achieve. So my mindset from when I was, to go back to the question, hasn't really changed from when I was 13 and starting to now being 28. So yeah, you're right. I've ripped up the birth certificate because I think when you're just passionate about it and you love it, um, it doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily mm. matter as long as you're doing all the right things to compete at a high level. It, um, yeah, it's good. Did you ever have, like, was that something that you always knew or was there moments where, like, you got feedback being like, you know, obviously the career's not always on a linear trajectory. Like mm -hmm. there's going to be ups and downs and parts where you maybe lose that mindset or you don't have that. Were there times that, that really struggled early days or has there been peaks and cliffs in the career? For sure. So I uh, probably one of the tougher points was when I was 15 um, and I'd just done quite well on like the junior circuit when I was 13. So 13, pretty much 
when you turn 14, you become, you're on the men's tour. So you, you're bottom of the pile. So you kind of finish a Northern season feeling pretty damn good about yourself, mm. walking proud, doing manies in Warrandyte, you know, <laughs> feeling great to the next year, just being like kicked the bottom to the bottom. Of the, yeah. yeah, the bottom of the bottom <laughs> yeah. of the earth. It sounds like a bit like, you know, the Park Orchard Sharks from what you just said yes. before. Yeah, that Not makes that I would have known because, yeah. you know, we won every time I played. But, yeah, that was in brand um, division though. <laughs> That wasn't dear four. So um, dear just four, to be clear, sorry, yeah. yeah, okay. But yeah, so then you go onto the on the men's world stage, and then when I was fourteen, I got a really great opportunity to go to the Olympics in twenty ten. Cut a long story short, I guess I wasn't performing the way that a lot of people would um, hoped that I would. Mm. And then I'm also then turning from you know, kind of a, a boy into a man, I guess, in that sense where uh, I was dealing with maybe a lot more exterior input or people's opinions that I didn't have to deal with before. And that definitely wore on me a lot. And I think why it was so hard was I always, whenever I talk at a school or do anything nowadays, I talk about this because it's not even that just because I was playing sport, this was a thing. This is just in general. Mm. You hit a You hit a point where I hit puberty, I was getting a bit tall, uh, I started to care about what people thought of me, you know, tricks weren't happening as easy, I got scared, I was fearful, you know, all those things that basically stopped me from being the Scotty James, I guess, that got that opportunity. And then that really tore me up because I didn't understand how to talk about it either. So then my ego overrided my emotions so that when I wanted to try and find a solution, I couldn't because I was too scared of the opinion someone would give me of of what I, how I felt at the time. And that ended up just making me blow up like a bomb. I got to a point where I just did an event, did terrible. It was kind of like getting to the pointy end of qualifying for the games. And I just went home and I just cried. I cried for, I felt like 10 hours to my mum in bed. And that was like the explosion because I'd never really found or was able to like talk or, you know, I guess tell anyone how I was really feeling and not because it's anyone's fault. Like I have the best family in the world that support me through everything. It was more just me not feeling comfortable to talk about it. And look, the big scheme of things, it's not a massive issue. You know, if I didn't go to that games, I probably went, went to another one. But I think because I knew I was also talented enough to do it and I could execute it, it was almost, yeah, it was more of an ego. It hurt mm. my ego a lot. And even at, it's crazy, even at, I was 15. So I was kind of trying to delegate all these issues internally, which are because of me by myself and I shouldn't have. And I think it's important to talk about it now because regardless of, I mean, it's probably so relevant even in football or swimming or shit, whatever it is you pursue in your life when you're a teenager, all of a sudden you, you care what, in, in, in my case, you care what the girls think, you care what your peers and your older brothers think and you, and it just happens. Yeah. And you kind of just end up in a, in a position where it's a bit tough. But so that was really hard. That was 15. Anyway, I ended up qualifying, which was amazing. And it was kind of like a big chip off my shoulder. And then, yeah, so I learned a lot at a young age. And then since then kind of used it as a, you know, turn of a page to, to be able to talk a little bit more and help me. And then, and then ever since I've been able to talk a little bit more, it's been a pretty good uphill progression. That was Scotty James, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you hit up that whole episode 188. Next up, former teammate of mine, someone I have a lot, a lot, a lot of respect for, international AFL star, Zach Tui, episode 204. Spoke about coming into the sport, gaining respect and, and taking, you know, pe people's positions in his team. 
terrified of you know just little things like not knowing when to come off the ground um having such a blank canvas of coming into footy and yeah you know just watching players and and surrounding himself with the people or watching the people that he wanted to be like which is a really cool lesson for any young athlete out there um which is yeah it's bloody cool so i love zach tui this whole episode was sick make sure you check it out how did you find like your first few careers there fitting in with like culture of elite sport Mm. um having this mix of being liked versus being respected friendship but also taking positions of other guys of a game that you haven't played so you want to come and make friends because you don't have much support network over here and then also you're trying to cut it out in a career that you know if you don't support then you're going to be home anyway yeah it was yeah it was tough like for me i I never thought about that big a scale i was very fairly insular like I, i was training with the vfl trying to learn the game um, it was actually funnily enough we did one preseason. we had an exercise to do in the preseason. It, it must have been before I debuted or maybe it was the year after I debuted and I'd played a few games the year before but it was um, broken up into groups and you had to pick the team for round one so you're in certain groups and I can remember like the group I was in I obviously wasn't super well established so they were kind of asking me do you think you should be in I can't even remember if I said yes or no I probably said no I was fairly timid kind of personality and they're asking me why and I was like oh, this is really confronting for me like I don't want to say that like who would have been playing at the time like Jordan Russell mm. best bloke ever cracking player but like he's playing half back let's say at the time I didn't want to say oh Nuffa who's also great to me I was like yeah I reckon I can knock him out like that's not really what it's it's not how I ever thought of it in my head um, but fortunately for me I mean it, it is cutthroat sport and everybody gets that and I don't ever recall a situation where a player gets dropped for another player and there was any animosity between mm. them um, it's actually a marker of a really good team and a good club when there is uh, a lot of competition for spots. But um, I never thought about it, to be honest, mate. I just was more worried about figuring out what was going on. Do you know one thing I was terrified about the game when I started playing my first intra club? This will tell you how far behind the eight ball the Irish guys start. Mm. My biggest concern going out into the intra club was um, I was freaking out about when to come on and off the ground. I was so scared about, I was like, how do you know? I don't understand how you can just run off in the middle of a game. Like, it's terrifying. And they were kind of looking at me like, you don't want to talk about structures or anything. I was like, nope. <laughs> just when, rotating. When just rotating. And this is like the stuff you worry about when you don't grow up the yeah. sport. But um, oh, I was too busy trying to figure that stuff out. Yeah, There was also a really good part that I remember you saying a lot of the time, because you are a beautiful geek. And it was around the fact that, like, you guys don't have the time to learn bad habits. Yeah. And you think about, I think you explained it to me one day. You were like, imagine being obviously an elite athlete in another sport, but then coming and being coached 24 hours, 24 7 from elite coaches Mm. on how to do something. Yeah. It's the blank canvas Mm. argument, isn't it? It's that, like, um, if, if if you already have no bad habits, you're obviously not going to teach them bad habits. Yeah. And the Irish guys have their own kind of kicking style. We um, we tend to arc a lot and we do have some stuff that is fairly kind of unique to, to us just because of how GA is played. Um, but I give a lot of credit to... Uh, so David Teague was my first um, academy coach when I first went out. Herbie Harris, Darren, Darren Harris. Harris yeah. um, like Webby, Luke Webb. So all these guys put a lot of work in early on. Like I do remember doing an awful lot of kicking, um, like post-training or on our days off with those guys. Um, I can remember like fitness coach Jesse having to pull me in between drill or between um, training sessions and stuff because I was staying out and just kicking and kicking. The benefit for me was that I actually found it really fun. Like genuinely just a fun thing to do was to kick mm-hmm. like a, a sharing, like because obviously I come from a... 
around ball and the novelty just never wore off. So I found it so easy to work on it. I would walk around with it. And I actually knew for a couple of years before I came to Australia that I was probably going to be coming out. So I used to watch it. Um, when I speak to the younger Irish guys, I always tell them, the, I, I think the biggest advantage I had is that I watched it like pretty re religiously for two wow. years. So I used to watch all the highlights. Like it wasn't as easy to get then as it is now, but the highlights were on every weekend and you could go online and have a look at them. And I just think the constant looking at the action helped, but no bad habits has to be. That's really interesting. So I didn't know that actually. Yeah. I, I thought that you sort of just were dominating in your field and they're like, let's get him out nah, of here. But nah. you sort of- it was, a, it was a longer process than that. Yeah. Yeah. It was longer. And it's actually that whole idea of watching this, like, um, it's funny, like I went and gave a talk to a school when I was back home and I was just chatting about whatever I was talking about, like training and respect and because you're talking to 14, 15 year old mm. blokes, like it's a pretty dangerous group if they're not guided. So you try and give them a, a solid enough message. And I asked at the end, did anybody have, uh, have questions about training or anything like that? Not a single hand went up. So they all stood up and started to leave and a group of four or five lads came over to me afterwards and they were asking me like genuinely, like pretty thoughtful questions about training. One of them was, um, uh, he was actually working, he wasn't injured. He said, I, I, I do a lot work in my family shop after school and I don't get to go and train as much as I'd like. Like, is there anything I can do? I thought, I wasn't thinking about that when I was his age. Mm -hmm. I know that. Um, but I genuinely, hand on heart, believe looking like looking closely at an individual player, or an individual skill, if you're a golfer or whatever it is, like looking is reviewing and watching stuff. But just like if, if you want to play like somebody, don't just watch the game, like watch what they do. If you want to mm. like, be, we'd all love to move like pendles. And if you want to have a little bit of that in your game, you need to watch him. You can't just walk around going, oh, he's great. I wish I could do that. Like he, he couldn't always do that. He mm. learned it from somewhere. But I just thought it was, a, it was a pretty insightful question about how how you can improve when you're not physically able to get out and do the action. And I really believe that like looking, like watching the sport. And for me, AFL was so new mm. that it was like, yeah. It's who just, did you watch or who do you watch now? Like who do Well, you at the time, I, uh, so I was just watching a lot of the highlights. At that stage, I wasn't watching in individuals really close. But um, when I got to Carlton, there was two players I watched, Grant Birchall and, um, oh God, this is shocking. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Where was he from? Uh, Bulldogs went to Gold Coast, played almost 300 games. Jared Harbour. Jared Harbour, I'm so sorry. He's uh, uh, one of my favourite players. <laughs> yeah, through. I just totally drawn a blank. <laughs> but they were actually the two halfbacks I watched yeah. just because of how they were pretty offensive in their ball use and... Uh, they were the kind of guys I wanted to play like. So I used to get their edits and watch them during the week in the build-up to my game, even more so than my own for a period of time. So That was Zach Tui, 204, ladies and gentlemen. Next up, we had one of the fan favourites for this year and, and personally one of my favourites too. I know a lot of Collingwood supporters love this, but one, 79, Braden Bruzzy Maynard spoke about his perception in the public, Collingwood culture, and this was obviously before their flag too. So it was really cool to hear his sort of, you know, take on where Collingwood's at, his personal life heading into what was a premiership season for the club. And after sort of looking back, there's no reason why you, you could sort of see they perform the way they did, which was really exciting. So this is 179 with Bruzzy Maynard. I hope you didn't take that, and I know you didn't personally, but what did you think when I said I hated you before? Like, as a, did you did you have that sort of feeling? <laughs> it's that funny. Well, I I feel like that's what like many people think of me. Like when they they don't actually know who I am, but when they watch me play football, I don't think many people do like me. Um, and I promise to everyone, I am a good guy. Yeah, um, you are. I uh, I'm a gentle soul. I'm a gentle giant. So yeah, when people say they don't like me from the way I play football. I mean, I can't really do much about that because that's just who I am when I cross the white line. I've got a bit of white line fever, that's for sure. But 
Um, yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one and a funny one when people say um, they don't like me because of the fact of the way I play the game. But um, it is what it is. I can't really control their thoughts and feelings about me. But um, all I know is that I am a good person off the field and I do mean well. Yeah, oh, oh mate, I think when, when as we said before, if I if I say so myself, I think I, like that's where it comes down to is in that admir- the admiration. It's like you you, it's a similar. I, I put sort of you and Toby in a similar boat sometimes yeah. it's like the player that opposition teams they yeah. ha- they love to hate but yep. they would be first picked on someone else's team yeah. and it's like it's nearly a badge of honor to wear so i think if for you if you do feel like that i don't think that um people hate you at all but i think that if there was people out there it's just because they'd want you on their team themselves well it's obviously i mean sometimes i sit back and i go i do, I do look at players like toby and other players that are sort of the same as me and they're just competitive competitive people yeah like when they when they get out on the field they're they're totally different and it's crazy to see some people go from one extreme to the next mm. um, and how that operates mentally. But, yeah, I mean, that's just who I am and I wouldn't change it for any other way. Yeah, it's very interesting because when I think you were young, as I was saying before, I'd, and I'd said it 16 times now um, on repeat, but I didn't actually hate you. I was just sort of like, who the fuck is this guy? He's sort of come in, this <laughs> young guy, throwing his weight yeah, around. Yeah. There was this sort of notion of the Rat, rat Pack 2.0 yeah. with, you, you know, Dugowie, yourself and Benny yeah. Crocker. But the way you – would that have been a fair representation of who you were at a young age? Like, do you think you were like that then than versus how you are now? Is it a different yeah, sort of person? Absolutely. I I have come a long way and I've learned a lot. And when I first got drafted, um, the list was a lot different. The culture was a lot different. And I got treated probably the right way, even though it was probably the wrong way to go about it in terms of the other player's perspective, but I was sort of walking around. I wasn't arrogant in a way, but I was just going in a way that I shouldn't have been going. Um, I was sort of going out on the weekends, um, hanging out with my mates too much and just doing the wrong things and getting up to a bit of mischief. And the players got a hell of that. Um, And they thought I was just being a little arrogant prick who didn't really, or who took football for granted, sorry. And um, I probably was taking it for granted. Like I didn't really understand um, what it actually took to become an actual AFL player and to do the right thing. So I guess that's just learning, right? Mm. That's I was 18, 19 and all my mates were doing one thing and then I was trying to live this AFL lifestyle and trying to get a game and I've had multiple conversations along the way with leaders and all that and I feel like I've come a long way. So I'm really grateful for some of the conversations I've had. Yeah, well, it's incredible, man, because like I think for for me on an outside perspective, only knowing you from, from brief sort of encounters and just loving the way you go about it, like from that, maybe as you said that you were when you were younger to then when you know the captaincy is changing and your name's getting thrown around to be the next captain of the pies or you know it's gone the way with darcy but is that leadership and that now like that role responsibility something that you love sort of being a part of yeah absolutely and i feel like i've always had leadership in me on field i've definitely tried to develop that off field and i'm still developing but i feel like i've definitely grown into the man and the player on and off field that i want to that I want to be. Mm. Um, I still like going out with my mates and having a fun time, but I've definitely learned what it takes to get the most out of yourself with your body, mentally and physically. And I've got a lovely person by my side uh, in Jackie, our, our psychologist. Mm. So she's been really good for not only me, but a few of the other boys and the whole team in general. Um, she helped us enormously last year, pretty much Yeah, the way we went. It was, it was a tough year mentally and physically for me. Um, there was a few things that I was going through, but like I said, with Jackie by myself, uh, by my side, sorry, she helped me a lot. So yeah. I'm very grateful to have her. Yeah. Is that like on-field stuff or you were? Yeah. So on-field, um, I was just struggling with a few things and then off-field, I actually haven't really opened up about my off-field stuff and mm. I might 
I might keep that away yeah, from yeah, today. Yeah, for sure, for but sure. there has been a few things that I've had to deal with since 27, uh, 2017, sorry. And it's, I do see the light at the end of the tunnel at the yep. moment. I do feel like I've got the right people around me and I've been putting in a shitload of work mm. to get over this, uh, yep. what I've been going through. But, um, mate, I'm feeling good. It doesn't change who yeah. I am. Yeah. But I was in a bit of a hole definitely in 2017, 2018, and it was quite tough, but I decided to come out and speak about it to a few psychologists. But yeah, Jackie's probably been the best for me, and um, I'm definitely seeing a lot at the end of the tunnel. Like That's I said. awesome, man. Good stuff. Yeah. In terms of before we're talking about growing up and developing a young man, you go through experiences, right? There's not one thing that sort of changes along the way. Like I think mm -hmm. I've been probably guilty of sometimes being like, what are pivotal moments that have got you to where you are? But has there been sort of conversations from, you know, when you were kid or school or even like coming into the club with leaders like Pendlebury and stuff that have sort yep. of fat, like helped you develop along that time? Absolutely. I, um, I've had multiple conversations, like I was saying, and the one that stands out uh, when I got drafted, the first couple of years I was kind of moping around, doing my own thing, not really caring or not really understanding what it took. But then Pendles and the leadership group pretty much pulled me in, had a decent decent chat to me and pretty much just told me that I'm not going in the right direction and I'm going in the direction of my mates and yes it's fine to every now and then go out with your friends and enjoy yourself but I was doing it way too much my work to life balance was not great at all and I didn't understand any of, any of that and I was learning it was all a part of learning mm. but the conversation I had with Pendles we put plans in place um, curfews how many times I went out um, but pretty much that that conversation I had with him um yeah, got me to where I am wow. pretty much today. It did help me a, a shitload. And I don't think he realizes how much it actually did help me. Um, we don't never really speak about it too often, but yeah, it it, it actually helped me a, like a fuckload. So. It's incredible, man. It's crazy how, um, you know, I've, I've had similar conversations along the way and it's for someone to sort of pull you aside, it's not easy because it's mm. not like a comfortable conversation to have no, it's at not. all. And and most of the time as well, you see with these guys like your Pendlebury's and, and whoever they are that you can have these conversations, the respect for them, but you also want to be liked by them. And, yep. you know, I really struggled with that a lot as a young bloke. And I think this is a, a, a good conversation for anyone that's been that age that just wants to go out, have fun and be liked. Mm. It's like you actually just want to be respected at the end of the exactly day by right. these guys. Exactly right. Like I touched on, like I was, I was doing, yeah, my work to life balance wasn't great and I was just doing too much of one thing. And all I had to do was just learn, understand what was needed to be done yeah. and then just put a plan in place to do it. And I was so dedicated and driven to be the best footballer I can be because I absolutely love football um, and I've always loved it. So for me to just throw it away, wasn't something I wanted to do, even though I did like having a fun time, but I just had to make a few decisions and I felt like I've yeah I've come a long way 179 with Bruzzy Maidan if you want to go back and listen to that bad boy ladies and gentlemen it was an unreal chat there was so many other cool pits in there too next up we sat down with one of the most loved and respected players in the modern generation episode 185 Lenny Hayes not only did we sit down with Lenny Hayes we actually did this at St Kilda as well in at Moorabbin which is really cool, actually. Um, Lenny Hayes is the only guy that can get me to come to him to do a podcast, and I'm all about that. I'm really all about that. There's no ego when it comes to Lenny Hayes. I will do whatever it takes to sit down with him. Um, I spoke about his early days at St. Kilda, his debut, and spoke about the training he used to do in preseason. But again, this episode, a little snippet now. Go back and listen to the whole thing. He's so cool, so humble, and such an interesting guy. Really enjoyed this one. Check it out. It's it's a hard one because obviously it was a draw and you didn't get the result you wanted. But to win a Norm Smith in a drawn grand final at the biggest stage, tightest game, 
it must be something that you're still proud of to, to, yeah. to, to deliver on the big stage. It's a funny one, mate. Yeah, it, yeah, I, I guess so. Like if you're, you know, all you want to do is, you know, you play your role and you just you just want to win. So there's part of that that, you know, I, it sort of brings up, a, you know, a few memories too of what mm. could have been such a great day for the club and, and my teammates. So there's part of it where, I, you know, I don't really celebrate it. It's just that it's at home tucked away mm. somewhere and, um, you know, ideally it would have been nice to be, you know, celebrating something else that day. So it's a funny one. Like, I, and people have asked, and like, I understand the history of it and all, all that sort of stuff. But on the day, I, I didn't really give a stuff, to be yeah. honest. Um, you know, the, the focus was sort of getting prepared for next week, really. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, we, we got smacked the next mm. week. Is there any, I know it's bad going back now and over looking at things, but is there anything you look back now as a team you think going to that next week, or was it just the fact that? Yeah, they like, prepared better. I, I, I think we spent probably everything, mate, that, yeah, that first that week. Yeah, week. And really they should have been more in front at halftime. They missed a few easy shots. But the momentum really did shift that second half. And we, we felt like towards the end of the game we were all over and we just yeah. couldn't we just couldn't get it over. You know, BJ took that massive mark. Huge. And he's still filthy because he's like, if we won, there would have been a bronze statue of him. <laughs> so he still brings that up quite regularly. Yeah, yeah. cathedral. <laughs> one there and one here probably. Um, so yeah, the, I don't, I don't think like people talked about Collingwood going to their function and us not going and things like that. But we just went into full recovery mode yeah. because we, we felt like we had a few guys that are a bit banged up. Um, but on, on the level of how the two sides went that year, they they probably had the better year and probably just had the edge and I think we saw that the second week. Mm. Did you ever think about leaving the Saints? No, was that, no, you ever I didn't. Get like- oh, the, only, the only time that I, there was an offer from the Giants towards the end of my career as they were um, coming into the competition anyway. and that was probably the only, only time. I could always sign contracts probably halfway through and never really stretched it out or I felt the club were pretty reasonable with me and – you know, we, we used to speak about, you know, like not not pushing out and taking overs because that meant that someone would get squeezed out at the other end and we were trying to keep everyone together. And you look at the good team, I think Geelong's done an amazing job at doing that and the good teams over the years. So, yeah, the, the only one was probably the Giants. They sort of said, look, it'd be one or two years playing and then moving into coaching. So that was probably the only one that I gave a bit of thought to. And then mm. I think two weeks later I did my knee. <laughs> <laughs> and they pulled. There was no more talk. No more. <laughs> no yeah, more talk okay. from the Giants. No okay. more talk from me. So, and in the end, I'm, you know, I'm very happy to be that one club player and, and played out at the Saints. Of course, you had some pretty obscure injuries, really. One being obviously the knee. That was 2006, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Did your ACL in a game? Didn't know. Yeah. Yep. How does that? How does that work? Do you often? <laughs> that's, a, a that's a big one. flex to sort of go oh, up to someone else that's done a few an ACL. People and, said that, but like <laughs> I can't claim it because I didn't know. <laughs> like it was, a, it was really weird, mate. Like because it was funny. We we I think we beat the Bulldogs, uh, beat Kangaroos, and I didn't played all that well, and I, I felt something. And at half time, I was like, oh, docs, I don't think my knee feels great. Mm. I can't remember a specific incident, and then got through the game, and then that night. I still remember it because mum was staying down from Sydney and it got to about midnight. I'm like, nah, something's wrong here because the knee just sort of blew up and it was, you know, it's hot swelling and all that. And so we're like, oh, we'll get a scan the next day and get the scan, go back to the club. And, you know, when you you walk in and like they can't look you in the eye, you know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I was like, oh, this isn't good. And then they said, yeah, mate, you've somehow you've ruptured your ACL. 
Um, it's gone all the way through. There's no damage to your medial or anything else. And we sort of went back through looking for a specific incident. There was one when I sort of tackled someone, got slung, and my legs hit someone. They're thinking it could have been that. Uh, but, yeah, in for, in for surgery and, and then, um, yeah, that was that. That's unbelievable. The other one probably a lot more serious was the heart surgery. Yeah. In 2012. Like, what happened there? Yeah, well, that was like, mate, it's, yeah, it's funny. So I'd, I'd, I'd actually, I actually did the other ACL in 11, 2011, and I'd, so I'd done the whole rehab leading into 2012. And then, like, clubs do routine ECGs. You would have, yep. you would have had them done. Um, and they were pretty standard. And then, like, I, I did one in that preseason. And then again, the docs come over, mate, might, have, might need to have a chat. Like, and so I go in there and I'm like, what's going on here? Like, I'm, I'm ready. Like, knee's good, ready to go. Like, oh, there's something like irregular with your heart. So you're just going to have to have some follow up tests. So they go, don't stress. Like, elite athletes, quite, it's pretty common. So I did a few follow up tests and they sort of get you on the stress cardio. They put some ink into your blood to see where the blood flow and things like that. And they worked out that I had had a hole in my heart that was probably the size of a 50 cent piece. Fuck. And the thing that was hard for me is that it was in a, an awkward spot because I don't know, I don't know how they do it, but some usually they can go in through your hip and it's like a non invasive surgery and they can somehow fix it up. But because mine was in a weird spot, they had to do the the open heart. So I was um, lucky in a sense that it wasn't required straight away, mm. but at the end of the season, I was sort of booked in straight away and, and got it done. How lucky, like, are we as, you know, we had a guy on a few weeks ago, Hugo Tuvi, who's a great guy, he's had some health yeah. things go through, but that was the one thing I realized when I left footy, how lucky elite sportsmen are to get tested oh. on shit that you wouldn't go to the doctor for 100%. if you're a male. But that's why it's so important for us to get this stuff done. Yeah, yeah, no. Hundred percent, and I saw I saw a few clips of of um, that interview, mm. and yeah, what what an what an amazing Crazy story. Guy. Yeah, it's you, we are, especially as elite athletes, the the docs and you know, physios and dental and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, we do get dental. very well looked after, and it it is a little reminder, really, because like we've seen over the last couple of years, you know, and and my situation probably wouldn't have got to a heart attack as such, but they they did if it was left uh, like undetected that you could – the irregular heartbeat can then sort of take years off your life towards the back end. Yep. So it's probably a little reminder for everyone, like get tested for, for everything, get your bloods done, get that health check done yeah. as regularly as you can. Definitely, and especially here we've got the Danny Frawley Centre as well for everything. Um, anyone around the area, they need to head down. It's bloody incredible. We came out last year, we're lucky enough to have a look at, it's which is, cool, is going incredible. So, um, yeah, check it out if you're around the Moorabbin area, fam. That's 185 with Lenny Hayes, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, you cannot you cannot hate that man. He's just too cool. But he actually speaks about that too in the episode, the I love Lenny thing. Listen to what he says about it. He really didn't like it. No surprises, but go and listen. It's very, very interesting. Next up, we have 192, Luke Hodge. Luke Hodge was so funny. Um, I remember at the start, I asked him what his favorite episode that he'd been listening to Dylan Friends. He said Nathan Buckley, which is all well and good. We just hadn't had Nathan Buckley on the show yet. So that was very funny. I knew he was a big fan of the show. Love Hodgie though, such a legend, such a good dude. Spoke about um, Clarko stories, all of the sort of pre-meetings and, and you know stories that Clarko would get the guys to sort of rail them up for the wins um, and games. Spoke about leadership being liked versus being respected and a whole lot more. Make sure you go back and listen to Luke Hodge. He was another um, yeah top 10 easily finish. Clarko's first year, I remember we went down to the beach for a beat session because someone wore the wrong socks. Yeah. Because a small little thing of discipline was yes, making sure you rocked up on time, but making sure that you're dressed in the right attire. You got sponsors who pay 
big money to be on your chest when you're training. So we made sure that during training sessions, everyone had to be in the right attire. Someone wore the wrong socks, so we went down to the beach. Mm-hmm. If anyone was five minutes late, would go down the beach the next the next time. And it wasn't, I remember it was Zach Dawson. So he, I think he wore the wrong attire. We went down there. <laughs> Zach Dawson slept in. Yeah. Uh, and, and Clarko and Vanders at the time didn't spray Zach because it wasn't about – He's a young kid learning his way. It was about making sure everyone was going to be disciplined. Mm. So they're the small little things that you got to set the standards with the, the the lowest part of it and build from there. But then as you have success or as you, you, the group are getting older, you need to start to trust the guys and say, hey, we trust that you're going to do the right recovery. We used to always, on an interstate trip early on, have to wake up and meet downstairs at 9 o'clock after breakfast and go for a team, a team walk, team mm. jog, bit of a handball just to get blokes in the right – routine before a game after about five years we made it optional 20 blokes still would go and yeah. do it there'd be the odd couple that would sleep in still and, and not want to do it but it was about setting standards setting trends for him to continue to do by himself and then trusting that when they were away from everyone else away from the eyes of the footy club that they were doing the right things then and that's where you can start to trust and that's why gws when they were playing cricket and playing basketball the coaches trusted that when it came time to train or play they'll be switched on enough to do it. Mm. It actually takes me back to a time with um, Bolt, who, you know, you would have worked a lot with at Hawks. We are on a pre-season trip, and I laughed about it at the time, but since I've left, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, fuck, this was actually incredible. What they did was we were sitting in like a – I think we are up in the Gold Coast and we are sitting in a team meeting, and we are like, where the hell are the coaches? Like, this is strange. They come in, and they're all in suits. And I was like – Jeez, coaches Bolt, you know, some, weird some weird shit, <laughs> right? Okay, and I get there's some weird quirkiness yeah. about it, but I like the message of it. And the message was like, you know, we hadn't been playing very well when we travelled. It's like, boys, this is a fucking business trip. And it was a bit weird because <laughs> they're in suits like at night. But I was like, I liked – it stuck in my mind yep. about, okay – we're actually here. This is like a work trip. It's not like we're here to fucking have fun, play table tennis, go and have a swim down at the beach and all those bits and pieces. It's like this is a work trip. You're yeah. coming to do it. Which again, the quirkiness is there, but it stayed in my memory because of that. Yeah, I've I've got I've got two for you. Um, and as I said, Clarkson and Clarkson and Bolts are a lot like they spent a lot of time together. But yeah, we had a trip to Sydney and it was very similar. Um, 2010 or 11, I think it was. We hadn't beaten what. Like one up in Sydney for years, and as we had the final team meeting, we had ten minutes to go and text or call family, whoever were getting tickets, saying we're going to have our phone taken off us till after the game. Which you know, it's like when you go there, these things sit with everyone. Like you always oh, yeah. got it in your hand. So then the blokes went out there and messaged and called people and sort of said, "Well, we're going to leave the tickets here. We, you won't be able to contact us if something urgent. Call Mark Evans." And, and you can go from there. Sammy Mitchell had twins, so he wasn't a big fan. He ended up getting his phone back because his missus was very close to, yeah. to giving birth at that stage. But it was the same thing. Every time they wanted, every time that you picked up your phone to call to text to play a game, you had to think about why you're here. And it was good. What's your role? What did you have mm. to do? So it was the similar thing to a business trip. So it actually worked. We ended up beating Sydney that day. Uh, another one was up in Sydney. It was the year Bud left. Uh, 2000 and it was round eight, 2014, the first time we played played butt up in Sydney mm. and I was injured, Mitch was injured and Sully was injured. It was the first time Clark had coached without the three of us since 2005. Yeah. It's it a fair stint with, with the three of us actually being in Big the team. Leader, yeah. And we're all waiting in there and I went up there as an injured travelling player and we're sort of waiting around. Once again, the coach wasn't here. Like, what the fuck's <laughs> going on? Next thing, the door opens and it's ironic the time uh, with um, the coronation with, with King Charles. Clarko walks out dressed 
in the security with the big hat and the red outfit walks in there. Like the king's the, Yeah, the security. The king's guard. The king's guard. And he's out there and he's like sitting down there and he had the straight face and we're sitting down there going, what the fuck's going on here? And his whole thing was it's a changing the guard. The <laughs> we're sitting there going, what the fuck? And the best part was I was sitting beside Ruffy. Ruffy's taking a photo of Clarko oh, in the King's Guard. Changed, but it was that was his mindset. It was the same as you. Like for for the whole time he was coaching there, he'd had either Mitch as a leader, uh, Sully as a leader, or myself as a leader. But he had gone, so I was up to Ruffy and Louis and all these guys. To That's unbelievable. Down, mate, but it, was, it didn't work. It we lost. Out. <laughs> but but it, it sticks out in your mind thinking, fuck, how hard would it be for a coach, and especially a coach who's coached for. 15, 16, 20 years as Clarko has to continue to come up with different ideas to try and motivate your boys. Some of them work and some of them you sit back and go, fuck your way off there. But isn't it, isn't it incredible the fact that like you still talk about them now yeah. and they have stuck in, because there's been a million things that have been spoken about that I've totally forgot about, but I can recite so many of those little like <laughs> analogies that, and I'm worried that if we keep going, they'll be crossing over and maybe ruining that, you know, the they've, they've stolen they've stolen off someone else. We but, had, Clarko, Clarko did one and it was one that we thought he was taking the piss. So it was I think it was of ice skaters. It was it was about being in sync with your teammates yep. and making sure you're on the same page with football with 18 people. You need to know what you're doing and you need to know what he's doing. So you had these two ice skaters <laughs> in sync and and they looked it was amazing what they did and you had this really soft music behind it and we're sitting there going this is before, like not day before a game trying to motivate 24 blokes that are 18 to 30. It's not not working. No. <laughs> so in the back row, so in the back row there was myself, Guerrero, Stratton. Gibson, Franklin, we've sort of sent the message of when this finishes, let's give it a standing ovation. So as it's finished, this piss poor thing, it, like to motivate blokes, the song, the soft song's finished, and we've just erupted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then he's looked and gone, you guys can go and get fucked. And st- <laughs> we thought he was joking until Lauren spoke to Karen on the weekend afterwards and explained that he spent that much time oh, no. looking through the tape, getting the music that sort of because of the, the mindset behind it, but then it fell, it fell flat on his <laughs> – but he's walked out, slammed the door, and we didn't see him for the rest of it until the game, but didn't realise he was actually generally pissed off at our reaction that we're taking the piss out of him because he went to so much time and effort. Oh so my God. some of them work and, and some, some of them, them fall, don't. fall flat on their face. Look, I suppose you could – there's so many – and we could literally talk about it all day, which I'm actually happy to. <laughs> but the one that does stand out that I've heard, and I'd love just your point of view from this one, was when um, – Clarko chinned himself. Is that does that stand <laughs> uh, out fond to your memory? Was it after a loss to Port Adelaide? It was, it was oh, Xavier Ellis is one of his favourite stories of all time, but I can't get enough of it. Yeah, oh, there's a mix between when he punched the whiteboard and dislocated a knuckle. He's kicked the he kicked drink bottles on the ground, thinking they were empty. They were full, broke his toe. <laughs> but I think the one you're talking to was when what coaches do well and what Clarko does well is if he feels that if the players played poorly and didn't have the right attitude and they lost, then he would have a go at the players. But if he felt that attitude was there, but the tactics weren't, he'd blame himself. And he was doing that, it's my fault, I feel I feel like, and then he's whacked himself in the head and then did the old stumble back. And <laughs> and we're, the only thing is, being under him for so long, you think, that's just, that's just normal. Yeah. <laughs> this bloke, you, between the changing of the guard and between punching yourself in the face, hitting the whiteboard, kicking the drink bottles, and some of the really good speeches, you, you're prepared for anything. And they were one of the ones where once he did it, you thought, Fuck, he, he realised he stuffed up yeah, then because he's, he's a little himself. bit shaky. Yeah. His eyes went a little bit glassy. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's that's one of many which which you can probably mention about Clarko. That was Luke Hodge, ladies and gentlemen, 192. Make sure you go back and listen. Seven weeks later, we had Damien Hardwick. Big dimmer. Now, so weird. Backstory to this is we spoke about this in the BNF episode, but he was coming on the show when he was at Richmond. We were trying to get him in. All of a sudden, 
He resigned. We're like, bloody hell, we've missed the opportunities. Never want to want to come in. Two weeks later, he's like, yeah, I'm ready. What the hell? Okay. Damien Hardwick comes in, talks about leaving Richmond, all the premierships, turning points. Then he talks about the fact that he wants to coach again. We broke that story. It was unbelievable. One of the highlights of the year. Listen to this episode with Damien Hardwick. Thank you, Damien, for coming on the pod. I started to realise, you know, the, the X's and zeros, and everyone says it now, the X and zeros are important, but the relationship you build with the players is is really important. And it, it's funny, it's sort of brought about my downfall in a way too, because you build this incredible emotional state with the group of players that you have, and you go on this journey. And, you know, I look back when I first started, it was 20, 2011, I think was my first year, or 2010. 2010. I even, 2010. I'm so glad you know, I don't yeah. even know. But, and you, you form this journey and you go through this journey with these players and then all of a sudden those players that you've worked so hard with and developed such great relationships with leave. You know, I'd seen guys get married, have kids and all that sort of stuff and you become like part of their their family. Then all of a sudden, you know, Shane Edwards retires, um, Chris Newman retires, Kane Lambert retires and so you start to fill a little bit of a void. Now, don't get me wrong, there's players that are coming into the football club as well but the journey's different and that's when the challenges start to evolve and... Yeah, I started to get really, really emotional towards the back end of my career as coach of Richmond because all the players that I've I've loved and have broken bones for me and mm. blood, sweat and tears are now started to leave. And, you know, every emotional – every retirement speech, I was getting more emotional as it, as it went along. And, you know, I'm still talking about it now. You know, I was sort of half well up in a way, but it became harder and harder to see those guys go. Not that I didn't love the players that were coming – in as much, but the fact of the matter is, it's just really, really challenging. And that emotional turmoil of having that emotional state and then seeing those players dissipate along the way became really, really hard. I thought I was coaching well, but I wasn't coping as well as what mm. I would like with with that that change. So that was one of the things that sort of eventually I thought, you know what, it's probably time to step back. The cope when you say coping <clears throat> with with that with the relationships, the big things about coaching because we see at the moment like look it wouldn't probably be a job that I'd be putting my hand up for not because like I, I, I personally want to say it's an incredible job to be doing like <laughs> I, I don't want people to think that you know like I don't want people to say that it's not something is because I think Kane Corn said something the other day like coaching is it's a privilege like it's a, yeah. and pressure is a privilege like that's something that I wish I knew a little bit more about when I played like the pressure is a privilege because you're in a position that is yeah. incredible and you get to do incredible things but how challenging is being a senior coach of a footy club? Oh, it is challenging. Don't get me wrong. It's it's incredibly rewarding as well. And the thing is, it's, you know, I say this to the players all the time. You know, we're, we're very fortunate to win three premiership cups, but it's not that sort of stuff that I'll remember. I'll, mm. I'll be known for it, if that makes sense. But the things that if I remember along the way are the journey, the things about the journey, you know, the, the great times we had on camps or, you know, great things that happened within our footy club of, of jokes and periods within the year that we've just had a great time and they're the things that make coaching great the challenge is we're measured on outcome and that's yeah. really really hard because the fact of the matter is within your four walls you can sit there and be as happy and as go lucky as you want but the fact of the matter is there's this big wide world out there that effectively is trying to bring you down because that's what society does in a way they're always trying to rip you apart or trying to rip your club apart and you know, the really, really good clubs and, and ours was at this stage are really, really strong about what they want to set out to achieve and the people within the organisation. But there's people with, you know, on the outside that are always trying to tear those walls down. So that's the really challenging part. Once you're inside the Richmond Footy Club, it's all great. But sometimes when things aren't going so well, that's when it becomes incredibly challenging. And that's 
where you find a little bit about yourself. Yeah. You know, I reckon in 2016 when things were going really, really poorly, that's when I was at my absolute worst. And that's when you sort of, funnily enough, you find out how good a coach you are because I had to redefine myself, had to reconfigure myself. And don't get me wrong, I didn't do it myself. I had a lot of people around me that were willing to help. But that's when you start to figure out, well, these are the things that make Damien Harbick the best version, but also these are the things that you really need to work on to get better. Unbelievable. I'd absolutely love to talk about that. And this is not like you don't understand how excited I am to talk about this because <laughs> I think the story of the Richmond Footy Club from an outside perspective of the 2010 Brendan Gale coming on, that mm. famous um, footy classified interview of the leaked yeah. five year succession plan of 75,000 members free, uh, and three flags in the next 10 years. Mm. Fast forward to 2016, doesn't look like it's really at a pivotal point. Now, without. My biggest pet peeve at the moment, without ruining this whole thing, this is just friends chatting. Yep. I hope I can call you that, is clubs not sticking together. Yeah. And I think you get to this point where you go through so much shit and I go, wow, if a few clubs just held on a bit more and got through that, what would what would the outcome have been? Yeah. And 2016, I get goosebumps. I'm not even a Richmond supporter, <laughs> but you're the only club that have actually stuck with each other from a pivotal moment. And I yeah. just want to go, what happened in that period for you? Just well, it's, go ham. It's interesting because it, it is a little bit challenging. It's a little bit different. So we had made three finals yep. before that 2016 season. So we'd won like 15 games, you know, I think two out of the three years. And so we won a lot of games, but lost our first elimination final. There's some really good sides playing. So we fell short and... So then in 2016, I thought, okay, there's one or two things got to happen. Either we've got to improve our talent base, which we we didn't really do, we, we, we drafted, or the other option is I thought, I've just got to get harder on these guys, which is not something I would normally do. I can be hard, but I can also be fair, but I decided to drive these guys harder than I'd ever have. You know, So everything was designed about trying to get us to win the flag. And so as soon as that that expectation became so high, the pressure becomes so great and it just created this conundrum where I was pushing, pushing, pushing players and they just weren't responding and so I'd push harder and harder and harder. And so I became this coach that, well, one, it wasn't me. You know, I was trying to be someone that I generally wasn't because my sort of thoughts are I was always about growth, always trying to improve and stuff like this. But the ogre that came out of me that year was driving performance so hard. And we often speak about, Nemo would have spoken about with you, the demon of expectation. As soon as that you start to become outcome-based, the pressure becomes so high and the players are on a knife's edge the whole time. So they're not relaxed, they're not going to play at their very best and they're just scared shitless the whole time. So as soon as they make a mistake, they go into the shells and then they're worried about that mistake and then they make another mistake. And it was just a horrible, horrible, horrible year. You know, for me, coaching first and foremost, but then also for our playing group. So... You know, I still remember that day, um, you know, me and Trent became closer and well, me and Trent were both in tears and we just talked about how, listen, we've got to get through this and we've got to become better. You know, Trent was thinking about stepping down as captain and walking away from our club and I was probably a little bit the same, but then we sort of sat there and made a pact about, okay, well, let's get through this. Let's change, first and foremost, what we're doing, but let's redefine who we are. And so we got to work on that and the club, as we, as you know, were good enough to send me across to, to Harvard to do this course and, and find out you know, what made me the very best version of myself. And, you know, when it simplistically came down to it, I sort of looked at it. I was coaching my daughter's under 13 basketball side back then, and I really, really loved it. And, you know, that was the sort of best version of me coaching. You know, coaching was all about learning and teaching, but also about fun at the same time. And I still maintain if you can coach under 13 girls basketball, you can coach an AFL side, I guarantee you. That was harder than coaching them. 
the boys. But I came up with a philosophy too, which is this course was $15,000, but I came up with thing, keep them moving. So it was, I was at my best when I was always walking around. If I sit in a chair, I'm an accountant by nature, so I'll analyse data and information, all that sort of stuff, but I'm not around my coaches, I'm not around my players. And keep them moving was keep my players moving forward as well. So always challenge them to get better in a certain aspect of what they are, but also understand that their strengths are what guaranteed and what got them to the, the game of AFL footy in the first place. So let's just focus on that and let's work harder on that, not worry about your deficiencies as such. But then also my kids and my family, you know, keep them moving forward as well as much as I can. So that that motto that I got from that course, it's still with me today. It's still the number one thing that I work, keep them moving. So if I'm walking around, if I'm sitting on a couch, I'm no good. But if I'm walking around, talking to people, learning, growing, it makes me a better better coach first and foremost, but a better person as well. That was 199 with Dimmer. What a legend. Next up, we have 206 with Joe Ingalls, another international legend star, incredible guy. Far out, man. This guy's tall as shit as well. Like, he was so big. Um, Joe Ingalls, like, spoke about his beef with Paul George, Boomer's culture, playing in the NBA. Um, he spoke about, like, just even mentioning Steph Curry and LeBron James's name. Like, I'm not much of a basketball fan, but it's just so crazy that this guy genuinely, you know, walks the same court and plays and, and is respected by those sort of guys. is pretty incredible. Um, also spoke about being present as a father and, and stuff like that as well, which is really, really cool. So um, loved this episode with Joe Ingles. And then one of the coolest memories of my career, like kind of a few years later, was I was lucky enough to play Kobe a few times, which was which was unreal. We went to the World Cup in 2019, I think it was, and I was like walking to the, the baseline and I heard someone calling my name and I had a, a couple of friends at the game and I'm like, it's my friends being fucking idiots. Like we're in the, I think we're in a, the semi-final or quarter-final or something. So I'm like, it's just like, these guys are from fucking Adelaide and didn't listen, didn't listen. And then it was like a bit more of an aggressive, like, Joe. And I turned around and it was Kobe. And I was like, holy fuck. Like, <laughs> one, he knows my name. And two, this is in the NBA. Like, it doesn't, very different if I was guarding him in the NBA mm. and he's like, we're having a bit, like everyone talks in the NBA. And he, he said something to me, be like, show, like, show me something or give me something to, like whatever it was, something very minuscule that he he probably would have never remembered anyway but i was like holy shit that's code right like he was one of my favorite players to watch so things like that that you just like yeah i was trying to get three years to get the pension and now kobe's calling my name on this like it just mm. some really some really cool memories that definitely sounded like a retirement speech didn't it but no i didn't no there's that's plenty more to go i'm gonna, I'm gonna well, keep going oh you're gonna get going man because what's your biggest i have an idea of this but what is your do you think your biggest talent is like what's your biggest strength on court in anything like it can be physical or it can be like mental like what's what gets um, you to play the, your best game because like that then I still don't reckon I know you had the conversation with coaches and you put things in place but like and I'm not saying there has to be a specific moment it, it could have just been general like yeah. um, gradual belief built but like I just don't want to over harp on the fact to go from a 27 year old debuting you know getting nervous talking not nervous but like not yeah, really no, feeling a part of it yeah. to doing what you're doing now like there had to be something where you flip from like nah this is I'm, I'm ready to go here yeah and I do <clears throat> was it a game was there certain moments that I, I, believe, think, that, yeah. I think having like results in what you're doing yeah. helps working hard and actually yeah. seeing them yeah like, like yeah. I can go shoot a million threes if I go 0 for 5 in a bunch of games I'm going to yeah. be like you still suck you started <laughs> reaping the reward yeah yeah like and I think for me like hearing that from Quinn and going like alright I can I deserve to be here. Yeah. And 
I can help this team at the time. And you get these like little opportunities and then you do start to see some reward. And um, I think one of the biggest, like the confidence things I ever had was my third year, I'd always come off the bench and one of our guys was a bit beat up towards the end of the year, just with a few injuries and niggles. And it was right before the playoffs and Quinn wanted a bit more stability in our starting lineup just so we could go into the playoffs with, it was the first year we'd made the playoffs in like the Jazz had made it in years. So he came to me and he's like, I'm gonna put you in the starting lineup. And I was like, in my head, like, and you're a fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> you're trying to get fired. Like, what are you doing? Obviously, even that, thinking that, I still knew I was good at basketball. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I went home and I was like telling like, holy shit, this dude like really believes in me. Like he really thinks we're about to start in the playoffs, like not game seven, yeah. like the playoffs. Like we haven't made the playoffs for whatever it was, eight years. And I'm going to take the spot of a like, first round draft pick in the starting lineup for me, like for me. And I think I took that as like a massive Let's confidence go. booster. And it was the first playoffs that we played the Clippers. We beat the Clippers, which was like the Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre, like the mm-hmm the, what do they call themselves, Lob City or whatever they call themselves. We beat them in that series and I started and I like, had to guard JJ Redick, who was a, a guy I looked up to a little bit and played well and ended up getting a four year deal after that. But it was, I think that one of those moments of like, shit, I do deserve to be here. And my coach thinks I deserve to be here. Like now I've just got to put everything I've done yeah. for 30 years of my life into this five game series or seven game series, whatever, and, and make it worthwhile. And I was was able to take the opportunity and, and run with it. It's a leap. I love that. Another podcaster you mentioned there, JJ Reddick. There's another podcaster that you, I know you're a very big trash talker. Okay, on the court, that's the one thing everyone says about you. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's trash talk. It's just talk. It's just talk. Yeah. I know you like to talk. I do on, like to on, talk on the court. Um, I'm gonna throw a question over to Moff because Moff loves his basketball. He listens to many podcasts. There's a podcast with Paul George that uh, I don't know if you're aware. I know you're not on socials anymore. I'm not. But this popped up recently. We wanted to see what you have to say about it and why. So uh, pretty much Paul George about a week ago. Oh, um, recently? Yeah, recently had Terrence Mann on his podcast and I was talking about their like toughest opponents. He didn't talk about me. Please. And yeah, I'll just play this video for you. I just, I want your reaction. I want to know who you think, who is Paul the problem? Mm. <laughs> well, when I first got here, it was Joe Ingles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy you said that. So if you did that. PG did not like the Joe Ingles talk. I don't, but um, <laughs> that's what it was for the longest. I feel like. Yeah, I would say it gave me problems from a like a annoying standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> he was just such an annoying player, and for me, it helps me. He don't know that, but I've it helps me. Like, people think like, oh, I'm getting under his skin. Like I'm gonna make him off his game. Right. That actually locks me in. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I could be shooting down <laughs> or going through a, a rough patch. That locks me in to like, all right, now everything's about to be calculated. Like, two for 16 sure in the last game. Walking on you. I mean, it showed in that <clears throat> that Utah series. Like, yeah. you were locked in. I mean, he did. Like, every game he was locked in. I was locked in. Because then he taught, I don't know if he taught Royce O'Neal some <laughs> bullshit, but then Royce, <laughs> Roy, Royce the whole team's doing it. Like, I'm like, now you. The fact, come on, bro. The fact that he's still talking about this is hilarious to me. Because <laughs> I do not ever talk about it because yeah. it doesn't like it doesn't. But he's me, ob- but you're obviously under his skin. Yeah, I, and and to his credit, like that series, I would confidently say, like I did a decent job at him. But mm. it was, and I've said this before, like because every I have you go get this question a little bit about the whole that that, that series especially. But like if you put me and Paul George on a court, like I'm not beating him one on one. 
I'm not stupid. Like mm. I'm very like self-aware of what I'm good at. He's more athletic. He's elite defensively. But you give me Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and a, a few guys around me. Like I know how to. I know how to play. Mm. And I know. I know I can be damn straight annoying. Like I know that. And so game one of that series, he had like forty. And Quinn again pulled me to the side and was like, "Hey, I think we're going to switch the matchup." And I was like, "Fuck that!" Like, and I begged him about, and I, pro- and I was like, "Give me one more chance." Like, if he, if we go down 0-2, I can't remember if he even won the first game or not. But if he has a big game again, like, I'm with you. You can put someone else on him. Mm-hmm. And so the whole like you kind of play every second day. That whole day off, I was just like, "All right, what can I do to to figure this out?" Because I'm not like we just put us one on one the whole game. He's gonna he's gonna beat me. So I was like, fuck this. I know what I can do. Like, I'm going to like, I stood like this close to him the whole time. I like was breathing on him. I would like keep pulling his arm or like pull his arm hair or like just anything. Like just <laughs> be the, like he went to inbound the ball one time and he had his head like, like kind of resting down. And I just went and like put my stomach in his head. Like just stood there and he pushed me and got a technical foul. Like, so I was like, I'm just going to do everything for him to be more worried about me than actually playing the game. Because I'm not like, I am not stupid. I know what, what I can do and what I can't do. So my whole goal was like just to like make him as frustrated as possible. And I definitely am, would never take all the credit. Like it wasn't my reason, me, the, the reason that we won the series. Like we had a, a really good team. We played well together. But I think I played my part. And then like like he said, like Royce would come in and be like, Royce came off the bench at that point and Royce would come off the bench and like do the same stuff. So it was just like 48 minutes for him of like, but then to like, to give him credit, like, I mean, I think uh, two years ago in Utah, he destroyed us. So mm. he, uh, and he, and I, like I've heard, like he genuinely hates me, which is yeah. pretty <laughs> I've had people that have worked out with him before and like, I'm very different like on the court to off the court. Like I think I'm, yeah. my whole Milwaukee team used to hate me and I'm like super but does close. does animosity turn into respect or is there just animosity? No, he still doesn't like okay. me. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. so like we like- still go to the... Like wh- wh- I was with Milwaukee this year, and it's yeah. like every time I go on the call, he's still talking shit. I'm like, dude, like, I'm this was so long ago. Like, I'm so over it. But if you were that mad at me still, then like, fucking whatever. That is so good. That was Joe Ingles, guys. Two oh six. Make sure you check that whole thing out. Spoke to Isaac Quainer in the recap of the grand final episode two thirteen. Spoke about. You know, the whirlwind sort of last few weeks it had been. All those bits and pieces. And it was so cool to sit down with him and just talk about what had taken place, which is bloody unbelievable. Uh, this episode speaks for itself. 2023 grand finalists, well, premieres, mind you. Check it out. Have you watched the game back yet? Have you? I actually haven't watched. Like, the, I haven't sat down and yeah. dedicated a couple of hours, which I should do, shouldn't I? But um, it's been on, like, on the Sunday after the game, it was on Mad Monday, it was on in the background. So I've watched, like quarters and and bits and pieces but it's all a bit of a blur to be honest like um man all i all i remember is it just being an unreal game yeah like it's just as a neutral um and a fan of a fan of football in general like i just think that was one of the better games i've been part of the standard was like unbelievable like you got to tip your hat to brisbane like they've just got like some some moments like i just think of like a few a couple of zach bailey's goals like Stuff like that, just big moment goals. Where it was just like, far out. This is this is going to be a good game. So yeah, it's all it's all a bit of a blur, but it's it's a fond memory, definitely. The um, it's funny what you say, like with that, because in in most grand finals, especially of the late, they've sort of been you could tell who's going to win by like halftime, quarter time, yeah, and yeah, stuff. And this too, game, yeah, I always look for like moments in games, and I speak about this all the time, like those little 
tiny little things that you look back and go, fuck, that was huge. And mm. it might not necessarily be something that you see on TV, but might be in the inner sanctum. So mm. I want to ask you about that later. But that goal that Bailey kicked, um, the one where he like went on the boundary, came around, yeah. I, I watched that going, fuck, that could be a... I was just, it was my fault. Really? I was that flat, yeah. Because so I tried to get a handball received from the back of Coxie. And then, like, I actually don't know the technicalities of this, so I'd be curious to see your thoughts. Yeah. So I'm running around the back of him trying to get a handball receive because cheeky touch, right? Yeah. Not? Well, is it you, cheeky touch? And I was like, just give you know, give the ball to the distributors. Yeah, Coxie. Oh, that's what I like to say. <laughs> we'll use that one. And then, so Bailey was running behind me, obviously trying to like man me up. And then Coxie didn't give it to me. And then he Bailey saw that, and then ran off and smothered it. And then it dribbled to Danaher. Then I, that was when I like ran in. I like sprinted at Danaher. Mm. And I actually came off second best. I was freaking rattled for a few seconds there. And then next minute, Bailey scored this crazy goal. So like, I was like, I was fuming at myself, to be honest, because that was half my fault. Isn't it crazy when with that, like what goes through your head at that moment? You just got to move on, don't you? Like straight away? Yeah. Well, I, I, was, I was just a bit shook because I... I was kind of, I don't know what my plan was when I ran into Danaher. Like, mm. that dude is massive. He's huge. And I just, like, I'm one of those people, if I make a mistake, like, I will go 110% that next player because I get so angry. I'm, like, yeah. so angry at myself. <laughs> so I didn't even have any care for my own sake. I just ran in. Like, there's a photo. I, like, run in with my head. I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, so, like, it was, it's a bit of a lonely place, I feel like, when you make a mistake like that in such a big game. But we're so good at, like, coming together and everyone's really positive in the back line. So you make a mistake, it's almost like encouraged and we just go, all right, well, windscreen wipers, what's the next moment? So it's it's one of those moments and it's, it's, a, it's a long game. So You have to though, You have to get over it. You have to be able to get over it. You have to. That, uh, I think so many players struggle to, to not move past mistakes. Like I didn't even know that <clears throat> that was a mistake technically for you because realistically at the end of the day, your role is to be running and defending. Yeah, it's so it's a not, smart, smart play. It is a smart play. Yeah. Um, but you do move on. Like is it, is that something that did you like stew over it? Because it didn't seem like you did at all. Like your cool, calm collectedness on that day. I was so, I don't want to say impressed because it is a part of your game now, but to be able to do it on the big stage, mm. basically what I'm asking is, does it? did you feel as cool, calm, collected as you looked? Do I feel? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, I, I feel like at, at points, as I said, like it's such a high quality game. So like yeah. the, the pressure was there. Like it, it was... It wasn't even perceived pressure. The, the pressure was there. So, like, at moments, I definitely felt like I had a couple of moments where I probably had maybe a second or two more time. Like, but when you got Charlie Cameron mm-hmm. on your hammer, it's like, get that thing as far away from me as I can. So, there was, there was definitely moments where, um, yeah, I, you know, got a little bit nervy or you kind of, like, almost look around and you go, wow, this is, like, you kind of, like... You come I, in I, and we, out of well, the game we, a bit. We talk about, you know... Um, just soaking everything in like and and before the game to be able to just have a look around and ha- see so many people in the stands like right. every now and then i'd have a look around like just i don't know when we kicked a goal or something and i was like man this is freaking nuts like what am i doing it's like a dream genuinely yeah. what other moments stick out to you in terms of even just like your team teammates is there any <laughs> other parts where you're just like fuck that was super important for us on the day uh there's a few like obviously i'd say the, the two obvious ones were um Stealing Geordie's goals, mm-hmm. like they were just and the handball. Like, oh, and and Nick's handball. Yes, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. That was that, was that didn't that didn't get enough. <laughs> that talk. was just like he's such a freak. He literally said that he just heard Geordie's voice and just popped it. Like, is just, he um humble? 
Nick? Yeah, yeah. It annoys serious. me how humble he is. Yeah, like, I'd it annoys like... me too. I, I try to get him to talk some talk some shit sometimes. Cause I'm like, I, like, on the field, I know he talks shit. Yeah. He's a very good trash talker, one of the best I've seen. And he backs it up. So what are you going to say to him? Nothing. But yeah, off the field, he's as humble as they come. He's as wow. humble as they come. But yeah, those two moments, like Steele's goal, like... I've said this a few times, like I and a few people have, like I didn't know still had that leg in him, mm. and he just absolutely banged it. So to, I was, and I was right behind him. So I, to yeah, to be part of that moment was pretty cool. Um, and then I feel like Pendles that whole last five minutes, like just went into just his experience. You know, um, he's, he's so cool, calm, collected, and kind of just controlled our entire team really mm. and the way we wanted to play and dictated you know our ball movement and the people people don't like know about things like that but yeah pendles is just one of one of the best at directing and understanding the time in the game what we need from our ball movement where people need to be and he just sets people up so well hope you enjoyed that episode with isaac go back and listen if you're a pies fan or send that on to someone that you know will enjoy it next up we had jack Silvani, I've wanted to get Jack on the pod for so long, episode 215, and it was a really, really, really good chat. Like, really good chat. Really enjoyed it. I thought we were in flow state whilst chatting there um, and just got so much out of it. And he was so open, honest, and candid with everything that he'd sort of been through that year and, you know, his whole career with, you know, expectations coming to Carlton, Asos's son, um, you know, his relationship with his dad whilst his dad was at the club. You know, his dad getting sacked while he was there and how awkward that could have been. But, yeah, it was really, really cool. I think, you know, Jack's had to grow up a lot with all those things that he's been under that a lot of guys his age, you know, don't get exposed to. So, yeah, really rap for him. And, and it's going some um, going to be some big footy for him in 2024. So I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, I remember getting drafted and I was driving through Q Junction the next day and dad and my face are on the billboard at above the new Clifton, Murph's joint. Yeah, um, uh, uh, Putinesca. Putinesca, yep. Yeah. So we're on a billboard, a Carlton billboard, um, straight away. So, I mean, I was probably pushed because it was, we are going shit house at the time. We just finished last. Um, so we needed the, the good news story. We had Weeders as a pick one and me as the father-son. So um, I always say it didn't <clears throat> affect me, but the more... I mean, I'd always say publicly it didn't affect me, um, but probably I think subconsciously it, it may have the expectation of it all and wanting to wanting to live up to expectations and um, sort of prove the club right and prove prove people right and um, I think I sort of had to. It took me a while to move away from being Sauce's kid and being myself, which I think I've become so comfortable with over the last probably since 2019 um where i've started to play some better footy i've been able to grasp the concept that i'm not going to be my dad i'm not going to be my grand granddad so just be me Mm -hmm. and that i think led to me being able to be myself around the club um play in a way that is um it makes me happy like it may and and it sort of fits my role in the team rather than trying to you know be the best like having an understanding of you're not going to be the best but you can be the best you which i think it it i wish i'd known earlier like i wish in my first year i could have gone i could go back to myself and go hey listen it's not going to happen exactly how you want it to yeah 
but fit this mold and you'll fit in perfectly. Mm. So I think that took a little while to grasp and um, I'm really thankful that I learned that lesson because now I'm, I'm really happy. I'm um, obviously staying at the club. I'm happy with the role that I'm playing, but it's um, it, it put a, puts a better value on my performance than trying to meet yeah. others' expectations. Uh, and I'm, yeah, I'm really thankful I learned that lesson because otherwise I, it just would have been... I just would have fallen by the wayside and that would have been my career done and I'd forever regret it because I would have been trying to live up to something that I just couldn't. Yeah. I like that answer, man. That's Thank good. You. It's pretty deep, huh? It is, but it's 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 honest and it's truthful. Like, I think, <clears throat> yeah, I'm just, just reflecting. Like, I did, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I agree with what you're saying for you, obviously, because that's your journey. I'm just sort of thinking of my own thing. I don't it, think that's too, I don't think it's like, I think that I always like, I always was my own person anyway. So I don't think I ever really compared myself at all. And my worth wasn't, I, I, I always actually didn't really, I personally um, compared my worth to things. So I'd be like, mm. oh fuck, you know, when I was down and young, I'd be like, fuck, I'm not living up to this, of course. But I think one thing I've been really lucky with, and I'm sure you have too, is like my mum and dad, like they just love me, like no matter what I do. So it's like, even as a kid, you know, if I, it, it works both ways, right? Like there's times where I think they're going to be really proud of me, which I'm sure they are. Yeah. But like, so for example, like, you know, if I do something that's just like completely ordinary mm. and they're, they're like, that's awesome. Yeah. And then like re recently just like released a book, which I thought was a pretty cool thing. And they're it's like, cool. yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And it's the same. And I'm like, <laughs> so they don't, it doesn't, for them, it's just like, it doesn't, no. they don't give a shit, which is so cool because it's made me like, so much no matter what i do as long as like i enjoy it and i'm happy they're like it's cool they're like we don't really care that you wrote a book as long did you did you enjoy it yeah cool that's that's cool so yeah they're our biggest supporters so it was it was different for me too because um i came into the club and dad was working there this is yeah yeah so what that, the hell was that that would have been fucking weird it was weird because i think some boys not not guys like you who I'd had a bit to do with before I came in, but boys who didn't know me probably thought um, that navigating a relationship with me would have been difficult because mm. I lived with the bloke who was in charge of their contracts. Yeah, <laughs> so it was yeah, it was it was strange. But as I said, like I came in, I didn't know any different. Yeah, um, and it, all that really sort of blew up when he got the flick and whatnot. But it, I mean, it wasn't there wasn't much in it like i never really spoke to dad about footy when i got home i was mm. all footied out you know the days the days with bolts were long when we were trying to sort of improve they were long days like well that's the part right just with that like your old man then right you you get drafted bolts is coach your dad's list manager and there's a lot of work that like you not you internally but like those two are doing together yeah so like you're i'm assuming training coming home and bolts and your old man are still fucking working together trying to build this club and yeah. like that would have been so weird but yeah. no, it wouldn't have been weird because it's your life but like from an outside perspective you've got to probably admit that's pretty yeah yeah it's like it's an it's, it's a situation that doesn't happen a lot no and i think that's why people would have found it difficult to sort of get to know me because yeah. you know they would have been treading so carefully in case i thought in case you know i went home and said something to dad mm. which i didn't <clears throat> um but yeah it was it was um 
man, I, I really enjoyed having dad around the club. It was yeah. cool. Um, and he, he made it really clear that he sort of kept his distance from players because it would make his job hard if he became, if he had a relationship with them. Yeah. Um, so like you'd be able to attest to the fact that he was never downstairs. No. Like he'd be watching training from the stands. Um, he'd never really walk around and have chats with anyone. Like he was, he really kept to himself and just did what he had to do. Um, which I think in part was to protect me as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, man, I, I, I loved that being yeah. around the club. So, um, yeah, it was cool. So it was disappointing when it all blew up, but, um, it was, yeah, I really enjoyed it. There you have it, guys. That was best of sport. Hope you enjoyed the year. Uh, let us know. We want to take it to the next level in 2024 and get some big names on the pod as well. I think we did a massive, massive, um, massive crack at it this year. But again, maybe some more internationals we could get overseas. I don't know. Who knows what we're going to do? I'm pumped for it. We're in a planning meeting after this, and it's going to be cool. So make sure you check it out. Thank you so much. Check out all the other best ofs as well. Education, inspiration, but business and career. And the Teach Me Please series. If you haven't heard that, you might like it. You might not. Um, But IllyXX, thank you so much. Hope you have a safe Christmas, safe break, and get ready for a big 2024. IllyXX.